Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarin. The Shmata Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarin. Joined, as always, by a man whom I've hired a special investigator to figure out what he knew and when he knew it about how he has run this show into the ground, Dan <laughs> Baker, DB. I got the FBI on the case, man. I never saw it happen. Oh, no. I, I, all, all I know is that anytime you bring in a special investigator, you need to find some sort of underling or low-level person to blame everything on, and that brings me to the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? I don't know what you guys were talking about. I haven't seen the sports page in a week, so what, what, what are we talking about? AJ uh, Manuel, perhaps? Looks good. Looks Super Bowl good. predictions? No one cares. Which leads to our next guest, the last person who cares about what happens on the field. I say guest. He's really a co-host. He's a guest like... My kids are guests in my home, mm. Mark Barry. Mm, that, that's, that's nice to try and fix it that way. I, I always know. feel like a guest here. You make me feel like a guest because you're so kind. That's Thank all. you. Yes. That's what I try to do. And EJ Manuel did Stop look good. with the this butter. Week. Let's move on. I try to make Coach feel like like the unwelcome house guest. Where I'm like, and I do. You do a so, good job of it. Uh, got any plans? Look, obviously, this has been the most insane, insane week in the intersection of sports and politics. So insane that the National Football League is not even on the front burner. What's on the front burner is what a couple of days ago we would have called the Ray Rice, Janae Rice saga. Now it needs to be rebranded the Roger Goodell saga. That's what this has become. What will the $40 million a year man, the 44. most powerful 44, mm-hmm. most powerful commissioner in sports, most powerful man in professional sports, what mm. did he know and when did he know it? And we're going to try to break that down next, right after this. We're going to talk about what we learned this week. We're going to talk about the latest in terms of the special investigative council that has Roger Goodell has assigned to him and whether we think that's actually going to mean a hot damn. Uh, Cliff Notes version, it won't! <laughs> Not really. Um, just like Chris Christie was investigated by an independent yes. council. Yes. Just like Nixon was, I mean, unbelievable. But we're also going to talk about, I mean, I hope we're going to talk about if we have time, mm-hmm. Bruce Levinson, the Atlanta oh, Hawks, because I think that's a huge story meaty, for us to meaty, talk about. Meaty. And what is and is not racism. And we also have as a guest to further talk about Ray Rice, Janae Rice in the NFL, Ted Johnson. Ted Johnson, former member of the New England Patriots, really want to hear what he has to say, particularly about how the culture of football relates to domestic violence. But hey, before we talk about any of that, we got to go to break right after this. (laughs) 
Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? My man. And me, Mark Barry. How you doing, me, Mark? I'm doing great. The tweet of the year, if not the decade, if not since the invention of the medium, was sent last night by longtime NFL standout James uh-huh. Harrison. It was very simple. <laughs> it was very brief. It was... Ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun, huh? <laughs> and it was one of many tweets sent by NFL players openly mocking the fact that Roger Goodell is on the hot seat. That Roger Goodell could, in fact, lose his job. Now, why could Roger Goodell lose his job? We know the story by now. People listening to the show surely do. He said, I never saw the tape of Ray Rice punching his then fiance Janae Palmer, now wife Janae Rice. And a lot of people said, that makes no sense in the mm-hmm. world. Your security team is populated by ex-members of the FBI, ex-members of the Secret Service. You are a league that does deep dives into the personal minutia of all of your players' lives. And you're saying that you didn't see the tape? That made no sense to anybody. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said, well, if you didn't see the tape, that's a fireable offense right there. In and of itself. Because it shows you were incurious about the reality of domestic violence, and that's just how the NFL operates. A lot of people pointed to the fact that 56 players who have been arrested on domestic violence charges in the last eight years in the NFL under Goodell's tenure. Of those 56 players, they were, they were suspended a combined 13 games. So it shined a light on the ways in which the league pushed it under the rug. Yet still, few people thought, in reality that Goodell would lose his job just for being ignorant and saying, gee, we didn't see the tape and having plausible deniability. A lot of people called for him to lose his job, but no one thought it would actually happen for a simple reason. The trains were running on time. Profits were good. Everybody's excited about the NFL season. But a bing, but a bang, but a boom. That changed really dramatically earlier this week mm-hmm. when the Associated Press released a bombshell of a story mm-hmm. where they spoke to a law enforcement official who sent in the tape and had a seven-second audio recording of a woman in an NFL office saying, yes, we received the tape. It's terrible. And so now Roger Goodell saying, I didn't see the tape, is a lot like, I did not have sex with that woman, Miss mm. Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. Mission accomplished. I invented mm. the internet. You know, these kinds of quotes that are lies that hang on people Mm -hmm. throughout their existence. I mean, you can't live in public life when you are so deeply branded with an untruth. And yet, even with all of that, even with Roger Goodell looking like an abject liar, I, for one, would think that he could keep his job unless, unless he becomes a liability to the profits of the NFL. Now, what's a liability to the profits of the NFL? It's the fact that week one of the NFL season is over, and this is all people are talking about. Mm-hmm. Thursday night, we're recording this show right now on Thursday. Thursday night, there was supposed to be this incredibly high-profile game. First ever Thursday night game on CBS. Mm-hmm. One of the teams, the Baltimore Ravens. And who's singing the opening theme song for the show? Rihanna. Oh, my God. I mean, who oh, in the uh, world? I mean, I mean... If, if, Ike, write this if, if Ike yeah. Turner wasn't dead, I'd be asking if he was the halftime entertainment. Right. I mean, they have put wow. this together in such a way that it actually shines the light even brighter, not only on domestic violence, but how little the league cares mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the issue 
of domestic violence. And this is why I think Roger Goodell might go. Now, I want to ask, before I ask you, Mark, and you, Coach, like what you learned this week and whether you think Goodell is out the door, just want to make sure people know about the latest news, Uh-oh. which is that Roger Goodell has appointed former FBI Chief Robert Mueller mm-hmm. uh, via Princeton and the Marine Corps and the Federal Bureau Investigations uh, to actually head up the Ray Rice investigation to find out who knew what and when they knew it, the equivalent of an independent counsel. Let's look at that word independent for a second. Mueller's investigation will be overseen by John Mara and Art Rooney, mm-hmm. two NFL owners who are Goodell backers. And Robert Mueller as well, of course, uh, worked for George H.W. Bush. Roger Goodell, his father-in-law, Sam Skinner, was chief of staff for George H.W. Bush. This is a very cozy coterie of Republicans and establishment types. And by the time this investigation is done, we're going to find out that the dude who runs the food truck in front of NFL headquarters was responsible, right, right, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. And so let me ask you guys, Mark. First by the way, what, you didn't mention he's being paid by the NFL, correct? Yes, okay. that's true as well. Oh, and that Robert Mueller's law firm basically has a business supplying the leagues with executives. The, gotcha. like, there is this op- open relationship between gotcha. Mueller's law firm and the highest echelons of it, professional sports. It stinks. It stinks. To high heaven. Yeah. So, starting with you, Mark, what have you learned this past week, and do you do you think that, uh, like, what do you think? Do you think Goodell is gone? I learned three things this week. One, I, the impossible happened uh, during week one of the the NFL, the biggest spectacle in this country. We weren't talking about. Football. I mean, on that Monday Night Football where there was the halftime, there's a doubleheader. You're t- supposed to be talking about the majesty of football, and all they're doing is showing the, the video in the, inside the elevator and talking about this. And you've got platitude after platitude from ESPN personalities who re- aren't trained uh, and just can't handle this sort of thing. The, the line they kept repeating was, it's different now that we see it. Yeah. The fact that it's different now that we see it. What do you think happened? Did, but we, we had the previous we had the previous uh, footage of her being dragged out by her feet from the elevator. Do you think that something else happened that led to that? It's like, mm. I don't know why we needed this video, this punch uh, to be shown to have the, this like huge, huge reaction. Do you know what it exposes, though? What? It exposes the degree to which no one believed that she was knocked yeah. out it's because that, that she must have done something to deserve yeah. it. And that's what it exposes, that nobody believed the idea shocking. that... You know, and this is just like Michael Brown and Ferguson. It's like this country, when it comes to oppressed people in this mm-hmm. country, whether you're talking about women, whether you're talking about black people, people of color, the burden of proof is on them, the beaten, the killed. Michael Brown, dead in the street without weapons, he must have done something to deserve being killed. Yep. Janae Rice knocked unconscious, she must have done something. And seeing the reality of that, I think shamed and shocked people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I, I agree completely. And I think the last thing, is Goodell going to be forced out of this? They're going to do the best that they can if if he's still if he's still something that's in the NFL's best interest, they'll keep him. I'm not sure if he's necessarily going to be. He is at this point the face of this scandal, the face of domestic violence, and by obfuscating, by just kind of completely bungling the situation, he's becoming the face that women, which need to be a larger and larger portion mm-hmm. of the NFL's long term bottom line, if he's if he's offending them, he can't stay. It's an untenable situation. Wow. Coach, your thoughts. What did you learn? First of all, I got a litany of questions for you. Go today, for it. Because I want to just... We might uh, not talk about Bruce Levin. So we'll <laughs> yeah. give you a warning right now. <laughs> okay. Because we're just scratching the surface. Go ahead. As a big picture thing, people in this country give respect and credentials to folk that have money. Credentials, in, in, in fact, that they are smart. And what I'm seeing here that this is the biggest corporation known to sports 
And like you say, he's the most powerful man in sports. And clearly, he ain't smart. Yeah. You know, this is the subject of Chris Hayes' book, Twilight of the Elites. Yep. I mean, one of the, the point of this book, he's on MSNBC, and one of his arguments in his book is that the wealthy and powerful in this country um, are basically reproducing in their own children people who are less intelligent, Thank less able, and, but yet... What, what happens is we hang on this idea in America of a meritocracy. So we assume if they're in power, they must, have be, must be trying harder, must be putting more right. into life, must be busting their butt, without looking at the ways in which institutional privileges have become much more profound generation Go to day. generation to Go generation, day. to the point of which where we've created a modern-day oligarchy in the United States. Mm -hmm. There is no meritocracy. And so you look at Roger Goodell. It's so fascinating because his father was a senator, a liberal senator from New York named Charles Goodell. Charles Goodell had some courage by the standards of Washington. He was a Republican who submitted the first bill to the Senate to defund the Vietnam War. And Richard Nixon hated him for it. Richard Nixon destroyed his political career mm -hmm. because he dared do this. Mm. And in a lot of ways, the Richard Nixon-Charles Goodell nexus shows how Richard Nixon eventually became so obsessive, compulsive, and so out of his mind that he started taping every discussion, those tapes leading to Nixon's downfall. To me, it says so much symmetrical irony that now the tapes are what's going to bring down mm. Roger Goodell. Mm. So it's like the son of Charles Goodell, the nemesis of Richard Nixon, has effectively become Richard Nixon. Now you the incompetent. Go ahead. Oh, just the incompetent who's fighting for his life and his right. professional career. But you slipped in that it's going to take him down. You said that with conviction. So oh, you're, yes. you're, you're predicting that he's gone. Yes, I am. Okay. I want to hear more uh, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about it so. right after this. Not only are we going to talk about why he's gone after this, but I also want to talk about the issue of domestic violence and the issue of the person who's not a hashtag. She's not a grainy video. Which she's is already going being. to the back, back, back pages. Well, not on this show. Her name is Janae Rice. One, one, two. Don't move. Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. I did promise in this segment we were going to talk about Bruce Levinson, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, it just seems like, how do you talk about that? I mean, we just spoke, we, if we have time, we will try to unpack that issue. But I, I, I need to talk about what I feel like I learned and didn't learn mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. week. Because I really did learn a lot in the last week on this issue. Um, I, I'll tell you, let, let me start with this. Like, I'm not going to talk about, like, you hear people saying, what did we learn? We learned that the commissioner of the NFL might lie. It's like, if you didn't know that by now, <laughs> I don't know what your potential for learning is. Uh, you know, unless you're Stephen A. Smith, we, you knew that. <laughs> or maybe, or maybe wow. you're saying like we learned that domestic violence is a problem in the United States. It's like if you're just learning that now, and there are a lot of people like Mike Greenberg, ESPN. I'm shocked, shocked that there are men who don't know that it's not okay to hit women. Says it just like that. And it's like, are you that incurious? Are you that blind? Are you that unaware of what women go through in this society about what violence against women actually means? It is a societal problem. It's not an NFL problem. It is a societal problem. It is a political problem. And it needs to be confronted dramatically. Now, some people are saying we've learned that Roger Goodell is someone not to be trusted. And, and just sort of like, come on. If you didn't know that after concussion, if you didn't yeah. know that when he did the ALS ice bucket challenge <laughs> while denying that his sport had any connection to ALS, <laughs> then I don't know what to say to you. I learned that 
people really were shocked when they saw this video. The shock was real. There really was a shock, and I think people were so shocked, not just because of what I said before about people not believing women. I think people were shocked because it exploded the narrative put forward by the NFL, the mm-hmm. Ravens, and the Atlantic City Prosecutor's Office that somehow both were at fault. Remember, Janae Rice was arrested mm-hmm. that night. Mm-hmm. And the arrest was not dropped by the prosecutor's office. It was dropped by the grand jury after they saw the video. That was the sequence of events. So they're like, both these people committed assault against each other. The grand jury saw it and said, uh, no. And so the grand jury refused to in- indict Janae Rice. Keep in mind the old, the old saw that a prosecutor can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich if they want to. Grand juries are rubber stamps. And even this grand jury was like, he just knocked her unconscious. We are not indicting her for being knocked unconscious. And yet the NFL was still uncurious to see to see what happened. I, I learned this week a lot by the fact that there was so little discussion about Janae Rice, the human being. And I mean, one of the, for all the talk about domestic violence, for all the talk about you never hit a woman as everybody on ESPN was saying over and over again, they thought nothing about victimizing and re-victimizing again uh, this young woman. And that's something I learned in the harshest possible way. The very first day this happened, and I I say I learned it because as soon as the video broke, my first thought was, wow, this might be a wake-up call for people about domestic violence. But then I saw a couple of Twitter threads, Mm -hmm. um, someone at Prison Culture in particular, who talked about how showing it and showing it again without her consent is actually a serious problem and does Janae Rice a tremendous amount of harm and that we would never show a sexual assault over and over again, yet somehow we're comfortable seeing a woman get beat up over and over again. In a lot of ways, it's playing and replaying both sensitizes and desensitizes us to the realities of domestic violence. So what I did then is I got in touch with about two dozen people, largely women who work with domestic violence and work on this issue, and not one of them, not one, said that a greater good could be achieved by showing the video without Janae Rice's consent. Every one of them said, if we're serious about domestic violence, the first sensitivity always has to be with the survivor. The first, that's got to be the first, your first question is always what's in the best interest of the survivor. And in this case, nobody was talking about that. Nobody whatsoever. And then the other thing I learned, and coach, you might disagree with me about this, but I feel like I really want to say this, uh, is I learned when you have people who aren't trained to talk about domestic violence, like, oh, I don't mm-hmm. know, former pro athletes mm-hmm. and, and meat-headed sportscasters, they immediately fall back on the quickest possible cliche. So Chris Carter on Mike and Mike in the mm-hmm. Morning, he's asked to explain why, where does domestic violence come from because Mike Greenberg is shocked, shocked, shocked that any man would want to hit a woman. Shocked. And Chris Carter, the first thing he said is he said it's, quote, lack of father figures as the main reason why so many people in the NFL commit domestic violence. Now, the thing about that, which to me is so incredibly twisted, is that many young men actually learn domestic violence from their fathers. Having a male presence in the house is not a cure-all for violence against women. In many ways, having men in the house can actually create the conditions of violence against women. Uh, it's, so it's not just about like the magical presence of someone with a penis. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, everybody learns what manhood is. I mean, that's a bunch of crap. Um, yep. And in fact, some of the strongest men in this world are men who are raised by women. 
And and I'll say I'm, I'm not one of the strongest men in the world in any way, shape, or form, but I was raised by my mother. So my hackles go up in a big way that there is this assumption. And I'm close to my father. But I will say straight up, it was in the best interest of both of my parents that they split up when I was three years old. Mm. And not only in their best interest, it was in the best interest of their children that they split up. Every family is different. It's about what you teach your children. It's about the values you impart. But even that's not the be-all, end-all. When they make the curing of domestic violence about what happens inside the family, I think you, you immediately are forgetting the fact that we don't live in a culture that values humanity, period. We don't live in a culture that rejects patriarchal thinking, period. And we don't live in a culture that fights the pressures of poverty that so often produce the conditions of violence in the home. Not every time, but oftentimes. Like domestic violence comes out of the pressures of the bills, of life, of trying to keep your head above water. And we, we, we never think about how do we fight that as a way to fight domestic violence. And we're never going to end violence against women in our society unless we value humanity, reject patriarchal thinking, and fight poverty. Everything else, honestly, it's just conversation. Mm -hmm. It's just jibber-jabber because mm -hmm. nothing about having more dads in the house. Give me a break. The idea that if the NFL only does more anti-domestic violence training in the one weekend that rookies get together before they start their NFL season, that will somehow fight domestic violence. I'll tell you what, if the NFL wants to do something that's actually constructive and productive, they can, one, stop interviewing the wives and girlfriends of players in the presence of their abuser when they're trying to get to the bottom Thank of the stories, yep. sitting Janae and Ray next to each other. That's standard operating Ugh. procedure in the NFL. And the second thing is they need to realize that I mean, it's almost like they have this idea that nuance is for sissies and real men don't do nuance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. It's like if you if you now flip from saying lifetime ban for first offense on domestic violence, guess what you're going to create? You're going to create a mm -hmm. disincentive among women to report. It's not like I came up with that as a no, theory. No, no. I mean, I, I, I just, I just talked to people. Yeah. Reason why only 25% um, of domestic violence survivors even report it. Um, one of the, there are many reasons, of course, but one reason does have to do with uh, you feel like maybe there's a greater evil if your family gets broken up, if you remove a breadwinner from the home. And so you just try to suck it up and tell people you walked in the walls or whatever you have to do. The second uh, great lie that, that's, that's related to this that, that needs to be um, underlined and underlined is that in the African-American community, there is a real fear about thinking the police are going to solve your problems. Gee, I wonder why that's the case. There is a distrust mm -hmm. of the police. Mm -hmm. And so the thought that you are going to call the police to stop someone from abusing somebody else in an African-American family can sometimes feel like you're, you're bringing gasoline to a fire. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. a real fear. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the way we huge. need... Huge. Mm -hmm. So the starting point to me if we're serious about st about stopping this, and the, if the NFL is serious about doing something good, is one, fire Roger Goodell. Show you have some accountability about this issue under your watch and everything that's happened under his watch and his lack of seriousness. Yes, he would be a scapegoat for decades of lack of seriousness in the NFL around this issue. But you know what? I'd rather have Roger Goodell be the scapegoat than the guy in the mailroom who they say lost the tape. Right. So that's one thing. The second thing that I think is, would be a very important thing to, for them to do is to set up avenues of confidentiality. If women want to approach the league because they don't want to approach the legal system, 
maybe they think that their um, husband or boyfriend would listen to the coach but wouldn't listen to a cop. Maybe they think that their husband slash boyfriend values his place in the National Football League more than he values whether or not he goes to jail or any sort of public shaming on that front. And so if, they, and if, if women choose to use the NFL as the wedge to either A, get them out of the relationship, or B, get them into counseling, they should have the right and the ability to do that. And that should be the first step. And they should feel like they can come forward without risking not just their husband's job, because that's really secondary to this, but risking the fact that maybe they had plans to build a life on the three-and-a-half-year career of playing in the National Football League, having that nest egg, and then trying to figure out where they go from there. You can't take away people's options. That's my main point. I'm sorry, Mark. I've been talking over you. I know you wanted to say something. That's perfect, man. What Carter said was shallow. It, it, it had something to do with it, but the line is long. You know, he also said something about being married to a professional athlete. It's a, it's a whole entire thing, and I'm not saying I'm not sure I understand that either. The big one that I, I understand, you know, athletes are privileged mm-hmm. starting at a young age when for for their talents, and when they do something, slap a girl, take the girl uh, for their pleasure and then it's masked over, then you're setting a trend. You know, it happens at, at, at 12, 14, 16, and oh, he's a, he's a star, he's on his way, let's clean this up. And now it happens, and, and, and you know, when he gets married or something like this, and that, so it's, it starts way back when. So I'm not gonna say because it's lack of fathers. It's a whole litany of, of, of reasons why. Yeah, seriously, and when you say lack of fathers, it's also, it's another way to bash women, particularly yeah, yeah. black women, yep, and, and isn't that interesting? Thank it's you. like, we're so concerned about Janae Rice. If only these black women would stop raising their That's kids the so badly. That's the hardest job in the world, Sickening. a black woman uh, raising, raising a single, as a single thousand mother. percent, we gotta go to break. Hopefully Ted Johnson is still, can we can still talk to him. We'll be back right after this. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Uh, Our next guest, of course, three-time Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots radio host out there in Houston. His name is Ted Johnson. Ted, how you doing, sir? Hey, Dave. I'm doing excellent. How you doing? I'm doing really well, man. We've been talking about this all day. I just really want to get a former player's perspective on this. Um, so I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Uh, answer what you like. I understand if there's stuff you're not going to want to answer. Uh, I totally respect that. Let's jump right in. First and foremost, when you played in the NFL, you're in the locker room, you're socializing with players, you hear players talking. Did you feel like you were amidst a culture of violence against women in terms of how players talked about how they interacted with their wives and girlfriends? Uh, no, um, that was never, that was never a topic. That was never a concern. That was never, um, something, you know, that was always there, um, that, uh, you know, guys, you know, talked about or, um, the quintessential elephant in the room. But no, I don't, I don't remember that being the case. Okay. Um, but I will tell you this, uh, there, the NFL, I did, I do remember one time the NFL did, uh, one year they had this, uh, this acting group, um, that they sent around to every NFL team and it was kind of a mandatory meeting. Uh, and they sent this like group of actors, Dave, to go to each, um, NFL site during the season and 
do this kind of whole processing kind of um, exercise where they would play out different scenarios that might happen in a in a player's life, uh, and then after they would act it out, we would sit there and the whole team and, and process what we saw. And I'll never forget one of the one of the things this acting group did was play out this scene essentially of of a guy coming home, a player coming home and having an argument with his wife, I don't know, regarding what it was, I don't know, if the steak was overcooked, and hauling off and punching his wife. And then it's one of those deals afterwards, you're like, freeze. All right, what, what, what would happen here? And I'll just never forget, Dave. I was like, are we serious? I mean, is this, is this what you guys, uh, is this an issue? Is this something that we need to learn? Like, it's obvious what, you know, that, that's something you don't do. I'll never forget that, and it was just kind of one of those things where I always kind of scratched my head because I had never at that point heard of guys uh, that, that that was something acceptable, that that was even, you know. I mean, we all come from different walks of life in different regions of the country, and I never, not one time, Dave, did I ever feel like that was an issue and that we were trying to never talk about it or whatever. So I'll never forget that the NFL doing that. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember what year it was, but it just shocked mm-hmm. me as just to say, Wow, are you guys really uh, – is this something you guys are concerned about? So, no, to answer your question, no, players, uh, it was nothing we ever talked about. We never thought it was an issue. Under Goodell's tenure, uh, 56 players have uh, been arrested on domestic violence charges. If we look at statistics that show underreporting, one-fourth of women who come forward, that number may actually be much higher. There, there's an argument, Ted, that says, look, it's a very violent sport – And if there's a nexus between violence against women in the National Football League, we also have to talk about the difficulties in keeping that violence on the field and as well as perhaps even the influence of head injuries, which can promote, you know, tempers and light sensitivities and all the rest of it. Do you think that's fair game, the violence of the sport angle in terms of talking about violence against women in the NFL? Um. Football is not for the timid. It's not for the weak. It, it, it attracts a certain profile, okay? And there are guys that come from very uh, dysfunctional, very unnurturing, uh, very violent, very abusive homes. I would say all those things applied in my life. And, and so, you know, when you're, when you're drafting the NFL at 21, most of these guys haven't processed that stuff. Most of these guys haven't talked to anybody. Most of these guys, you know, haven't been educated on, on what they saw growing up. And, and a lot of times, like, it's, it's just human nature. We carry our stuff from childhood into our adult lives. And so football, in a sense, becomes the pseudo-family. The head coach becomes the pseudo-father that guys never had. The teammates become the pseudo-brothers they never had. So my point is football attracts a certain kind of player. Um, not you know, Guys that usually you know, grow up in uh, those kind of uh, environments are attracted to a sport where they can kind of get their anger out. And I always say this, Dave, that, uh, I mean, the guy's biggest weapon in football is his anger. And if you, whenever that anger dissipates, it's hard to play football because that's always something that's right there um, because of the nature of the game. But there's a, there's a disconnect when people want to say, well, then it's, you know, you know the game of football is so violent, so that it, it justifies, or not justifies, but you can maybe understand why maybe uh, guys are being violent. So I look at it more like guys come from very, very abusive backgrounds. Not everybody, but there's a lot of guys come from, from backgrounds that are less than nurturing and abusive, and they just haven't processed and they haven't dealt with it, and they carry it in their adult lives, and then we're seeing it play out in these instances. 
We're here talking with Ted Johnson, former member of the New England Patriots. Ted, I hear what you're saying about um, about ab- abusive families because every study shows that this is learned behavior in so many respects. I also want to ask you how much of it is related to the privilege of feeling like a star athlete and seeing women basically as objects, as something to attain. And sure. I'm, ask, I'm asking that question in particular because I, I went to a rookie seminar and – the only discussion of women to the rookies, there were they did talk about women, but it was always in the context of here's how to avoid being fos- falsely brought up on rape charges. Here's how to avoid uh, being falsely uh, being accused of being pregnant. Yeah. Here's who you call in security if someone's in your room and you feel like it's going to be right. your word against hers. So it's always yeah. in very oppositional forms, not about loving relationships, not about respecting women as human beings, but basically yeah. as, you know, notches on the belt, so to speak. So do, do you think yeah. that's, that's a part of it, is that there's something in football, or I should say sports culture, that has this kind of uh, sexism to it? Maybe. Uh, you know, maybe. I, I get, it's, that is a difficult question to, ask, to answer. I, I would say that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's case after case after case of guys maybe being, you know, uh, falsely accused, extorted. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of stories where a guy, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of, of a, a former teammate of mine. He got into a relationship with a woman. He was married. She basically held over his head the whole time. Look, you see, you got to pay me, pay me a monthly kind of thing to keep me quiet, or else I'm going to tell your wife. Like there's so there's a lot of instances like that. Now that doesn't justify obviously anything, but there's just there's a lot of times where guys have been, um, you know, you know, hurt or. Um, extorted or wrongly accused of things that they didn't do, um, and and so that 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 certainly that certainly goes on. But I think the most the, the main thing is is you know there has to be more education. Football, the environment for football is so unique, Dave. I mean, so many guys you you, you come into the league at 21 years old. I mean, you, you, they're not exposed to things that most people are, and so I think they need to create more of a culture of almost like a wellness program on these NFL teams where there's, 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 there's people they can go to. There's, there, there's people that can help them if they, if they want help. They don't offer that. And I'll never forget there was when I was a union rep uh, years ago, and Gene Upshaw was the, the head of our, our union. And I asked him something about – and my big platform was always trying to help guys after football. And I'll never forget Gene Upshaw saying, Basically, in this big meeting, we're all there. It's like, Ted, they don't give a blank about you, meaning the NFL. I think the NFL has got to put more money, more resources, resources into helping these guys and educate them and, and, and offering help when they need it. You're talking with Ted Johnson. Uh, Ted, let me, let me ask you, this is a question that you asked me on your terrific radio show the other day. Please, please call out the name of the show so everybody can oh. – Triple Threat. It's uh, Triple it. Threat, Sports Radio 610 in Houston, Texas. Yeah, you asked me this question, and it's it's been in my head all day, and I wanted to ask you, because you asked me, is what Roger Goodell did in terms of not seeing the tape, do you think it's a fireable offense? 
And I kind of tripped over the answer because I believe Roger Goodell should be fired for the whole history of everything, like the head injury uh, stuff. Uh, every, I mean, there's like like there there's a laundry list where I would say, of course, he should be fired. And then the question, will he be fired? I feel very strongly about that. Like, yeah, will he be fired? Uh, I I think if he keeps affecting the bottom line, and if we keep talking about this instead of the games, he'll be shown yeah. the door. But is this in and of itself? a fireable offense and I wanted to ask you the same question do you think it's a fireable offense uh it's a it is a good question and I man I it's it's difficult for me to say I think I have to um just add it on top of the list you know obviously you know Dave uh we've talked about a hundred times about the concussion stuff I think it's 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 in line with that um you know it's just another kind of brick on the wall as far as the legacy of Roger Dell it's tough for me to say that um just say this this one incident is the the reason that he should be fired but um i like that there's pressure on him i like that there's um we're going to kind of be um exposed to the process in which he you know uh in which we got to this point um and i think you need to do that you know you can pick and choose you know roger goodell and the nfl can pick and choose which which things they want to um, explain about how they made a, a pro, how they made came to the, the decision in certain cases. Like for instance, Jim Irsay's decision. I haven't heard I didn't hear a statement from Roger Goodell about how he came to that five hundred thousand dollar fine and that six game suspension. I want to know how he got to that. So I like that there's pressure on him that we can figure out um, exactly how he came to a, a two game decision with Ray Rice. And one of the other things too, this whole thing is. You know, he undermined his new policy already. You know, by saying you know this new policy that he's you know he he wants six games for first time offense and then being uh, you know indefinitely suspended a second time. Well, <laughs> Ray Rice, he, he's this is a first time offense and he's suspended him indefinitely. So he's already undermined his new policy. Um, yeah, but then, which looks like he's treating it like a public relations crisis and not as a systematic way to deal with violence against women. Answer your question, though. I, I struggle with it. I don't know if this one incident is a fireable offense, but when you add it all up um, in the litany of things that maybe he's really, uh, you know, missed the ball on, then then maybe so. Last question, Ted, and I do appreciate your time. Big picture. Anytime. Big picture as someone who's been a part of this game for decades, the ups and the downs. Do you think football can be a positive force in creating strong three-dimensional men or does it almost by necessity create people with leanings that are frankly antisocial and destructive in relation to women? Yeah. Um, in relation to women, uh, I, was, I was on board with everything until, until that. Like, it's hard for me to say, it's hard for me to say that. What I say, football players, um, again, aren't the most uh, well-rounded because of, the, again, the profile in which these guys come from. It's a, it's a game of survival and toughness and overcoming obstacles, and a lot of these guys have it. And, again, I told you, you know, it, it, anger is an is a, you know, emotion that we tap into um, big time to get ourselves ready to play the game. And that anger is stuff that we saw and experienced growing up, that, we, that it's, a, it's a way for us to let that out. So, um, I would say this. I don't know how – that's a utopia that you just described, uh, having a three-dimensional kind of man that's like is the perfect – I mean, football players, we're like, we're like everybody else. We are not perfect. But we come, I think, with more flaws than the average person because the nature of the business. I really do. So 
I don't mm. think that's a utopia the way you described it. I don't think we'll ever get there. I think this will be an issue um, for as long as the game is being played, man. Wow. His name is Ted Johnson. Uh, he hosts an amazing radio show in Houston. People got to find that noise online. Uh, Teddy, uh, Teddy Radio. That's a Twitter handle, right? At, at, at Teddy J Radio. Yes, at sir, Teddy J Radio. You got to tweet more, my man. I love your tweets. I All I do is retweet you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. Oh, thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk soon. Dave, it's a pleasure, man. Take care. Talk soon. All right. Hey, we got to go to break right now. We'll be back right after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. We're back here at Edge of Sports Radio, wrapping up the show. How you guys doing? Did we solve the world's problems this week? (laughs) Not quite. Just give it a couple more weeks. Maybe we got it. Maybe we got it. I'll tell you this, though. Um, We could talk about NFL games. It seems almost uh, obscene to do so. And instead, I'd actually like some good sports news, and that's people using the platform of sports and politics to do some good. People might know about the story of Danny Ferry in a lot of trouble as Atlanta Hawks GM. Uh, it was reported that he uh, several anti-African slurs, including he has a little African in him, as how he described Luol Deng. And by saying he has a little African in him, he meant he's a swindler and he's corrupt. Is that what I meant? Oh, yeah. If I did not at, know. I'm, I'm trying oh, no, no. to... The context of the remarks is you know all the corruption in Africa. You know that you know people will oh. lie to you in Africa. Deng's got a little African in him. In other words, don't trust him. Oh, okay. Now, I, and and that's, so, some, that's some Duke-on-Duke violence yeah, right there. I got to say... I'm so disappointed in Danny Ferris. I'm I, I'm on Levison's side. He didn't say nothing wrong. But for Danny Ferry, he was raised. I know you look at your eyebrows. Danny Ferry, his, his dad was a bullet. Bob Ferry. Bob Ferry. Long time GM. Danny was raised in this city, mm-hmm. went to Damatha, has been around, the, was raised with the brothers his whole life. So for him to go ahead and say that, was I'm, it? I just, I'm just, no, it, to, to read it. And instead of saying, what is this? Give me this nonsense and, and deal with that person. I'm sorry. I'm off. No, 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 no. Let's talk about it because I'll, I've already put the dang thing online. Just I'll just read the first part of what his response to he has a little African. It's long and it's beautiful, but I just like the beginning so much. He's, dang said, these words were recently used to describe me. It would ordinarily make any African parent proud to hear their child recognized for their heritage. I'm proud to say I actually have a lot of African in me, not just a little. Go ahead, For my man. entire life, my identity has been a source of pride and strength. Beautiful. Among my family and friends in my country of South Sudan and across the broader continent of Africa, Beautiful. I can think of no greater privilege than to do what I love for a living yes, while also representing my heritage on the highest stage. Unfortunately, the comment about my heritage was not made with the same respect and appreciation. Racial pride, ethnic value. There beautiful. you go. That's a beautiful thing. It really is. Yes, sir. And, he, and then he also talks about how proud he is to speak out for those who can't speak for themselves. My man. And that's nice. what it's all about. This is Edge of Sports Radio uh, for Coach, for me, Mark Barry, for my man Shaolin in the house. We are out of here. Peace! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.